Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I'm delighted that you've chosen to join us this week. As Term 2 begins here, we launched a new series entitled Following Jesus in John's Gospel, in which we want to listen to John's unique take on discipleship. In this first message, we have a look at the first instance of following in the Gospel, as two disciples of John the Baptist's begin to follow Jesus. Good morning, everyone. I'm sure it says behind me that I'm reading from John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. In this Bible, it's titled, John's Disciples Follow Jesus. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Good to see you this morning. My name is Mark. Uh, I will have my name tag on afterwards so you can remember. Um, And uh, part of the reason why I don't have it on and why the cameras are out is we're also recording this series for the Australian Christian Channel. For those who've been around the church for a while, you know that this is one of the ministries that we've been engaged in for the last four years or so. Uh, We maintained it during COVID, but... um, well, I just preached to Martin Johnson, so if you want to know what happened, he, like he's got the whole set. So uh, uh, it's uh, nice to be back in a congregational setting for uh, this ministry as well. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to keep them open uh, to the Gospel of John, um, and uh, we'll have a look at that passage in just a second, uh, just uh, to kind of give my reflections on Anzac Day as well. I was up early for a, a dawn service, something I haven't done before, uh, in part because of what we're starting tonight in in our evening congregation. I woke up at uh, 25 past five so I could stumble out to the television by 5.30. Um, and my daughter, Lucy, had already left and taken the car. Um, so you know how that goes. And uh, I texted her between services and said, how was uh, the Anzac service and how was breakfast afterwards? And she said they were both mad good which I'm assuming is good um, in a mad kind of way. So I'm looking forward to unpacking that tonight. It'd be good fun to do. Uh, and uh, thank you to those of you who, who kind of have put on your name badges, your labels. Uh, this is, as Roxanne said, part of uh, one of the ways that we want to help develop our sense of community. It's really important that we all do it. No one is well known enough to get away without one. So as I said, I'll be wearing mine in a moment as well. Uh, and if you're interested in being part of our welcoming team, we're kind of rebranding kind of our welcoming, everything that we do uh, on a Sunday morning and, and, and beyond that as guest services. If you have a real heart for people, to find their way into our community, then make sure you chat to Phil and Chris at the table with all the stickers. Uh, And they'd love to chat to you about uh, what roles are available and how you could be involved in that. 
Well, our theme this year has been about making disciples, and so we want to, at every point that we can, pause and consider what it means for us to follow after Jesus and what it means for others to follow Jesus as well. And so this series that we're starting today is focused on what it looks like to follow Jesus in John's gospel. Uh, And for those of you who are familiar with the gospels, perhaps have read uh, more than one of them, you'd be familiar with the fact that John's gospel is quite different from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often referred to as the synoptic gospels because they tell the story of Jesus from a similar perspective, from sin, which we get the word synonym, and optic, from which we get, well, all the optic words, right? It's the synoptic, it's the similar perspective. And all three of those gospels talk about the ministry of Jesus in largely the same order. They begin with the uh, arrival of John the Baptist, as does John in his gospel, Uh, and then they launch into to what looks like a one-year ministry. Jesus makes one trip to Jerusalem in the synoptic gospels rather than the two or three that he makes in John's gospel. Uh, There are different emphases, though, in terms of the things that John focuses on, uh, the things that he emphasizes in his telling. So in the synoptic accounts, for instance, one of the signature miracles of Jesus is the act of exorcism, casting demons out. That's uh, one of the most significant ways that Jesus demonstrates in the synoptic accounts his power, his authority, and his mission. In John's gospel, there are no exorcisms. In fact, John has a very different set of miraculous signs, and only seven of them are actually talked about in any kind of detail. It begins with the changing of water into wine, which is only found in John's account. It finishes with the resurrection of Lazarus, which is again only found in John's account. Uh, In John, uh, the Gospel of John, that is, Jesus doesn't tell any of the great parables. If you want to find the parable of the Good Samaritan or you want to find the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, you need to look in Luke's account. And now Jesus continues to speak indirectly in John's gospel, uh, and so we still find lots of metaphors and symbolism and language that you really have to pay attention to, but it's told in a very different style. And so while we're talking about following Jesus like we would talk about following Jesus anywhere, I think we should expect that there will be some similarities and some differences, some, some, some emphases that John provides us that will be helpful for our overall portrait and picture of what it means for us to follow Jesus. And in this passage here, starting in chapter 1, verse 35, and continuing to verse 42, there were seven things that caught my attention. Now, we don't normally have a seven-point sermon, but, well, it's just, it's a special day, huh? And so we're going to have a look at seven things that kind of caught my eye about following Jesus, some of which, if you've been around our community of faith for a while, will sound very, very familiar, uh, and some of which might be a slightly different emphasis along the way. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open with me to John chapter 1, starting in verse 35 which begins the next day. And, and I need to just pause there, and we will move more quickly because we have seven points to get through, but you know, to kind of draw your attention to what's happened the day before. The day before, is, uh, we, we are told, starts in verse 29 in, in this account. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is what John has said the day before. And you may have noticed that verse 29 began with, the next day. Uh, and that tells us that the previous section is also fairly important in this, little, uh, in this little scene. Because what happened the day before is that the religious leaders have come to John the Baptist. It gives you a little bit of an idea about just what a big deal John the Baptist was. And he was a big deal. Uh, when you read the account in the Synoptic Gospels, he's wearing camel skins and he's eating locusts and honey. You kind of think, yeah, that doesn't sound like the sort of person who's going to make waves anywhere. He sounds like a bit of a fringe dweller. But in reality, the religious leaders send a delegation to speak to John because there was a real clear sense that perhaps John was not just a prophet, which they seem to believe he was, but perhaps the prophet. And so in verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Prior to that, John appears again in the prologue to the gospel itself, where we're told, if you have a look in verse six, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And you see how this has unfolded then to verse 35. We're told that something amazing is about to happen. The light of the world is about to come into the world. And in order for us to kind of identify that light, which you'd think would be fairly straightforward, right? It's the light of the world, the one who was with God and is God, through whom all things came into being. But in order to tip us off to when this light shows up, John has been sent. And he's made some waves, and the religious leaders have identified him as someone who may potentially be the one sent from God. And John says, it's not me. And the next day, he sees Jesus coming. And he says, there, there's the one. There's the one. And he mixes up some metaphors. He talks about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, kind of pulling together both the, the festival of Passover and the Lamb, which was not sacrificial. It was just the meal. It wasn't a sacrifice that took sins away. It was a reminder of the great day of salvation out of Egypt when the angel of death passed over them and they were taken out and became the people of God. But John combines the Lamb of God with the one that takes away the sin of the world, the day of atonement at the very center of the book of Leviticus. The one day when all of the last year's um, indiscretions and sins and failures were wiped clean and covered over, they were atoned for. John points at Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He goes on, he tells us that this is the one on whom the Spirit of God has remained. And so when we get to verse 35, this happens a third day because notice that nothing has happened yet. John has said that someone greater than me is coming and the religious leaders don't ask who. 
It's like they're not all that interested. And the next day when John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God, no one seems to care. It's not until this third situation, this third scene, this third day, that something happens. Because the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And we assume his disciples or someone was with him in verse 29. I can't imagine that he was just muttering to himself uh, on the side of the Jordan, right? Two of his disciples were with him and he sees Jesus passing by and says, again, look, the Lamb of God. And this finally brings some kind of response. And this is the first thing that really drew my attention when I was looking through this passage. And that is that following Jesus begins with an invitation. Begins with an invitation. And I love the invitation that John gives because it is so ambiguous, isn't it? He doesn't command his disciples to start following Jesus. He just says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that interesting? And leaves it to them. But it begins with this invitation. And John doesn't demand that they believe him to begin following. He doesn't demand that they change their life to begin following. He doesn't give them a pop quiz about everything else that he has said about the Lamb of God. He simply says, there's the Lamb of God. And here's the second thing I found interesting. That following Jesus therefore requires a little bit of curiosity. It just requires a little bit of curiosity. Nothing else is required. Now we know that Andrew and possibly John, the gospel writer, are the two disciples who are with John the Baptist, which tells us something about their level of curiosity. We're told that these events take place in verse 28 at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. So there was a Bethany that was close to Jerusalem. If you left the city of Jerusalem and headed east, you would have kind of run through Bethany. But you had to travel another 30 kilometers or so to get to the Jordan River and then cross the Jordan River and there you would find Bethany across the Jordan. Andrew, his brother Simon, uh, John, and others come from the north, from Galilee. That's where they lived. That's where they were born. That's where their businesses were. And so they have decided that they are so interested, so intrigued by John's message, by what John is on about, that they have come all the way down south to become his disciples. Not just people who have begun to follow John out of interest, but who have left their businesses behind, have left their families behind, to be so closely identified with John and his teaching so as to be called his disciples. They are curious about the coming kingdom of God. They are interested in what God might be doing in the world. And that curiosity is enough. Which leads to the third thing that I think is so noteworthy here. And that is to restate what I've already stated in a couple of ways, and that is that to follow Jesus, you do not have to know everything about him. I've kind of gone through what John has said about Jesus, and it's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, John the Baptist, who is himself confused with the Messiah, has told us that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that he is the chosen one of God, that he is the Lord, that the Spirit of God is resting upon him. And yet, when the two disciples follow Jesus, 
And I, I pictured it in my mind. I don't know how they did that. I don't know whether it was so close that it was awkward and Jesus is kind of like, are you right? But I doubt that they were kind of sneaking from house to house to house, kind of trying not to be seen, right? They're close enough to draw enough attention to themselves that Jesus turns and says, what do you want? What do you want? And they respond by saying, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, Rabbi is, of course, a an appropriate title to give to Jesus. But you'd have to say it's a little bit of an underestimation given what they've been told about him. It's like saying Scott Morrison is in a position of leadership and Don Bradman was a bit of a cricketer and Kathy Freeman likes to run. Broadly true, but a little bit of an underestimation of who they are and the positions that they hold and how skillful they were in their roles. You follow me on this? This is what the disciples say, which suggests to me when they call him rabbi that while John the Baptist has pointed out that this is the Lamb of God, that they are not convinced. I mean, this is Jesus before his public ministry has begun. There are no crowds of people following him. We don't get any impression that Jesus has done anything uh, to draw attention to himself in Bethany across the Jordan, apart from being baptized in such a way that John was able to identify the Holy Spirit coming down on him and remaining on him. We assume that then Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and was tested and, and tried and tempted before returning, but Jesus has done nothing to draw any attention to himself, and apart from John's statement about who Jesus is, the disciples have almost nothing to go on. And so they start with what they know. Teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. In fact, he says, come and you will see. And while no doubt this is simply a very literal description of you follow me and you will see where I'm staying, like literally with your eyes, all the way through John's gospel, the symbol of sight is used. This is more than just seeing with your eyes the address where Jesus is staying, but you will see who he is. Because at the very heart of following Jesus in this passage, the very heart of following Jesus is spending time with him. That's all they did. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. That's, that's all. They spent that day with him. Now we kind of assume that this is in somebody's house. Maybe Jesus spent his day under a tree someplace, but like in Bethany close to Jerusalem where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived and where Jesus seemed to have spent quite a bit of time, we assume that there were those who had opened their homes to Jesus in Bethany across the Jordan. Those who had said to Jesus, yes, Lord, stay here. Whenever you're in town, stay here. And that they then opened their home to Andrew and to John as they came and spent the day with Jesus. And spending time with Jesus makes all the difference. I mean, one of the sub-themes in John's gospel is the inadequacy of the signs that Jesus performs to build faith. Uh, so often, and you find this in the synoptic accounts as well, Jesus does something absolutely amazing and 
nobody begins to follow him because the signs do not necessarily lead to faith. Spending time with Jesus seems to be definitive. And when they have spent that time with Jesus, and this may also sound familiar, when we spend time with Jesus, what will inevitably happen for us is we will come to a crisis of faith. Because what we find is that there is a change of loyalties in this passage. Andrew and John start the day as disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, They're not just people who are, are interested in John, they've become his disciples. And that relationship was not easily entered into, nor was it one that you just dropped on a whim. But by that afternoon, by four in the afternoon, they are no longer following John the Baptist, they are following Jesus. This is what will happen when you begin to spend time with Jesus. Because it will begin to change your loyalties. It will begin to challenge where you spend your time. And there may be some very good things that are left behind for the very, very good things of following Jesus. I want to draw your attention, though, to to one last thing before we look at what Andrew does. I don't know if you noticed in that reading that there are three parenthetical statements Three times John translates a term for us. I was really struck by that. This is number six, if you want to pay attention, if you want to try to number things in your notes or whatever. He says, first of all, in in verse 38, rabbi, which means teacher. And then if you have a look in verse 41, Andrew goes to Simon and says, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And then when Jesus meets Simon, he says, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I thought, isn't that really intriguing? that John would in three, t- three times in just these handful of verses tell us that rabbi is the same as didactylos and that uh, the Messiah is the same as Christos and Cephas is the same as Petros. Why, why would he do this three times? And it might be nothing more than just kind of being aware that there are other people who are reading his gospel who might want to know. But it struck me that this is a, a, an element of following Jesus that reminds us that anyone can follow Jesus because Jesus translates really well across cultures. I mean, for the Jews, there were basically two cultures. There were the Jews and there was everybody else. Jews and Gentiles, those who were Jewish and those who were Greek speakers. There were cultural divides amongst them. There was discrimination that took place between them. And John is at pains here to draw attention to the Greek translation of these words for who Jesus is, teacher, Messiah, There's something significant, I think, about the fact that Jesus, the good news of Jesus works, not just for the Jewish people, but for the world, which makes sense of what John has to say, that he takes away the sin of the world, which makes sense of his prologue, where this this is God that we're talking about, through whom all things came into being. I think that perhaps... Uh, maybe not the most striking thing, but I think what's quite interesting about these seven things that, I've, uh, that, that drew my attention is that it begins with invitation and it ends with invitation. Notice the first thing that Andrew does. 
once he begins to understand who Jesus is? And he only begins to understand, right? And we know from the rest of the gospel that their understanding of Jesus was still a little bit thin on the ground, right? There's still plenty for them to learn, plenty for them to unpack, plenty for them to explore and understand more fully. But the first thing that he does when he's begun to understand who Jesus is, is he goes and finds his brother and says, we found the Christ. That is the Messiah. And he brings him to Jesus. He brings him to Jesus. And Peter begins to spend time with Jesus. Because he too is curious, having come from Galilee, left leaving the fishing boats behind, to at least learn more about John the Baptist's ministry and what it might mean for him and for his life. And because he is curious, the invitation is taken up, and he doesn't have to understand Jesus fully either. He just gets to spend time with him. And as he does, he too will eventually realize that there is a change of loyalty that is required from him and that the message of Jesus is for more than the Jewish people. Peter himself experiences that in a profound way in the book of Acts as he himself begins to invite others to follow Jesus and those who are curious without having any faith and without changing their life and without knowing everything about him begin to follow after him as well and spend time with him and as they do, they come to a crisis of faith about who Jesus is that demands a change of their loyalty because the gospel is good news for everybody. And then they begin to invite others to follow Jesus until there's you and me. Who invites you to continue to follow Jesus? Because it's not a one-off, is it? It's not a one-off invitation. In your life, there have probably been dozens of people who have invited you and continue to invite you to follow Jesus, to spend more time with him. And there are no doubt dozens of people for whom you act as the inviter to continue to follow Jesus, to continue to learn who he is and what it means to follow him, to spend more time with him. And so if I can draw your attention to two kind of key components here. I think one of them is the very simple dynamic of our following beginning and leading to invitation. And that that invitation is not about our decision to place our faith in Jesus. It's merely an invitation to become curious about Jesus. Isn't that nice? It just takes the pressure off. I don't need to invite my friend. I don't need to invite my colleague to decide to follow Jesus. I don't need to help them make a decision to accept the Nicene Creed as the basis of orthodox faith. I just need to invite them if they're interested, if they're at all curious, to begin to spend some time with Jesus. It's how we invite our children and grandchildren and our close friends to follow after him. And secondly, the very heart of discipleship, spending time with Jesus. A reminder that we 
do not follow a set of doctrines alone, but we follow a person. A person who is alive and who by his Holy Spirit is present with us always. And whenever we are aware of his presence, we are spending time with him. In his word, in prayer, in worship, with the gathered community of faith, as we are walking or driving, whenever we are aware of his presence, aware of his activity, attuned to try to participate in what he is doing, we are spending time with Jesus. And that is discipleship. So spend time with Jesus. Do that this week. And spend some time thinking about who has invited you to follow him and who can you invite to do the same. The first lessons we learn from John are that following Jesus is essentially about spending time with him and that our following is based on a continual invitation to do so. An invitation from others, affirmed by Jesus, and an invitation that we extend to others. So take up the invitation to spend time with Jesus this week and pass it on. And speaking of invitations, why not join us for Sunday services at gbconline.org.au at 9.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time for online services or visit our website at gamiabaptist.org.au for on-site service times. Thanks for joining us this week and until next time, God bless. God bless.